Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. To give an object lesson or share a simile about repentance, what would you share? You don't have to explain it, just what it is. Got it? Okay, Trini, can we start with you? Or you want to start with Benedict? I want to start with Benedict. Okay, good call. Oh, okay, that's what I. All right, Benedict. Um, I think repentance is kind of like doing math. I, you just make a mistake and you just rework at it. I like that. Okay. Um. Well, I don't quite know how to what the name of the object lesson would be. Other than to kind of explain, I know if you have like one of those, some of those erasable pens and stuff, that like if you take a, put it on a piece of paper underneath, you put like like a fire, like a light or something, you'll like, I guess burn the ink away, and that's kind of cool, kind of a cool like lesson you could definitely use to tie into repentance. Nice, excellent, thanks, brother. Brandon, I'll go to this side. Okay, I would just use like whiteout, and just as you make mistakes, you can use the atonement to white out your sins. Awesome. Love it. Kelly. Oh, boy. I would say repentance is kind of like the sun coming up, like, in a dark day, and it just kind of makes you feel better and happier, so. Thank you. Friend? Um, I, my first thought was just, like, cleaning a house. Like, it's going to get dirty again, and, and it kind of sucks, but you can always clean it, so. Okay, welcome this week to Come Follow Me. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 3 and Luke 3. And Mark, Mark one. 1. Those are the places. So I'm Brother Black. I'm Brother Ricks. Welcome back. We're surrounded by a live studio audience. Live studio <laughs> audience again. We did a few of them uh, before the students came back. Uh, hence the background has changed a little bit. We don't. Uh, we we can't imagine ourselves in in the falls or up in the up in the trees in the fall when it's quite a bit warmer yeah. than it is right now. But um, should we let, should we start introducing Mark? Yeah, Should we start with it. Mark? Yeah, we can start with Mark. Um, so Mark is a, most scholars believe, probably a, a second-generation Christian. He's a convert. Um, so his message is going to be written to Gentiles. It's going to be written to those who kind of from his, with his background, going to try and, uh, going to try and get, uh, explain why Jesus is the Son of God. And with that purpose, it's kind of fun to, to go back now that we've now that we've got Mark, take a look at how every person has introduced him, has introduced the yeah, Savior, absolutely. and and how it fits their purposes. Um, yeah. Matthew, starting with the genealogy of kings. Yes, like let's show you this is this is the genealogy, and I'm going to prove that Jesus is the Son of David. He is the prophesied King. He's the Messiah. He is the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Uh, Luke. Showing him as a baby. Mm-hmm. The Annunciations. Mm-hmm. Yep. This, this is the baby. This is the the biological. The, the physician would a, would attend to the the creation of this 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 baby boy. Uh, John wanting to show the divine that, that he was before the world was. He's the creator. The creator. Yeah. I, this is John saying he is God. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is God. Uh, take a look in Mark chapter one. Uh, Mark's introduction to him 
and it's easy to miss. And for most of us, we're like, yeah, okay. Uh, this in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. By the way, he's the only one to call his gospel a gospel. A gospel. He's the everybody else says this, this, you know, this, 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 but he's the only one to say this is the gospel. So, and the interesting thing about the gospel, it, it leads into why Mark is introducing him the way he is. Yeah. The word gospel here comes from, and I, I'm not a Greek expert by any means, but other people are smarter than me, and I've gotten a chance to listen to some of them, <laughs> and I've gleaned some things. But gospel here, same, same root as a, um, and I always, my Spanish kicks in, evangelical, or ev, 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 it shares the root with evangelical, good news, <laughs> yeah. um, and but it's a special kind of news. It's the news of uh, something dreadful is, is finished. So yeah. you've either just conquered, you just won a battle, you've just won a war, and the war is over, which that has some really cool connections to Christ, yeah. or there's a new king on the throne. You've had uh, you've had a tyrant or a, a dictator on the throne, and and we've got a new king. And so, in our day, no big deal. If you're Mark speaking to non-Jewish potential Christian converts in the Greek world to say, "Hey, there's a new king," yeah. that's kind of dangerous in the Roman Empire. Yeah. And. Uh, but it also speaks to what Mark's purpose is. Mark is going to try and sh he's going to show Jesus as the son of God. He's going to show him as a healer, as a miracle worker. And, and all of these things with the purpose of convincing Gentiles that, that Jesus is not a Jewish thing. That he's not, a, he's not a Jewish prophet. He's the king of all the world. He's the son of God who is the father of everyone. Yeah. And, and just... To, to build build on that just a little bit, um, Mark is uh, his first name's John. He's John Mark. Mm -hmm. So confuse him with about yeah. a thousand other Johns yeah, in the New Testament. It, thank you for going by Mark. <laughs> yes. Um, but he's uh, he's a missionary companion with Peter and with Paul. Some uh, a lot of scholars believe that he likely got his a lot of this early information from Peter. Mm -hmm. um, and he's probably the oldest of the written Gospels. Yeah. Um, and uh, as part of that, Mark spends a third of his gospel talking about um, the atonement of Jesus Christ. And it's very likely that Mark's comes towards the end of Peter's life, which would have been in the mid-60s uh, A.D., and uh, it's a dangerous time to be a Christian. Yeah. This is when uh, Nero's on the throne, and they're persecuting and crucifying and burning and throwing Christians into lion's dens. It is a horrific time, and he's saying that don't be shocked if this happens to you because it happened to him. Mm -hmm. And so the, Mark is trying to help the people find hope with that. And then it, we're not going to go through all of Mark 1, but it's so interesting that there's so many times in Mark 1 that in verse 10 he says straightway, verse 12 immediately, verse 18 straightway, 20 straightway, 21 straightway, 28 straight uh, immediately, 31 immediately, 42 immediately, chapter 2 straightway. He just keeps going that Jesus is a doer. Mm -hmm. He does not waste time. He's always focused on I, I'm doing something. I'm doing the Father's will. And, and I love that idea of Mark. It's, there's not a lot of reflective Jesus in his gospel. It's a lot of doing, 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 performing. Yeah. Yeah, Mark's Mark's gospel is a gospel of action. Yes, um, I love the fact. So Mark is the shortest of the gospels. Traditionally, Mark uh, was meant to be. 
I don't, I don't know how many of us would do it in a day. I, some of us took the Parley P. Pratt challenge when we were in, uh, you know, in seminary. We hear the story of Parley P. Pratt reading the Book of Mormon from cover to cover in, in, a day. in one day, and we're like, ah, my wife actually did that when she was in high school. She took this, her seminary teacher in Blackfoot, challenged her to read it, so she, her and a friend um, bought a bunch of Mountain Dew. I, my kids <laughs> will be shocked to know that my wife drank Mountain Dew, and, and they stayed up all night and did it. They did the Parley P. Pratt challenge. So Mark was meant to do that. It's the shortest of all the Gospels. Um, I like the fact that most scholars believe that Matthew, Luke, and John used Mark as kind of a, an outline. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, the idea that Mark was probably traveling with, with Peter, this is probably Peter's voice. We don't have a Gospel of Peter. We, we have a, later on, we're going to have, you know, his, Peter's book. But, but this is, this is, this we don't call it that, but this could be considered as Peter's, this is Peter's voice to what took place during the, the ministry of Jesus Christ and leading up to the resurrection and, and immediately thereafter. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about the introductions. I think part of the reason that Mark starts this the way that he does, he only gives a few verses about um, John uh, mm -hmm. preaching, but then in, in verse, uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit about it when we get over to Matthew, uh, about the baptism of Jesus Christ. But verse 11 is, there came a voice from heaven saying, thou art my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Part of Mark's introduction to Jesus is God saying, that's who Jesus is. So in the other ones, it's John is preparing or, you know, uh, you have other introductions of the kings and the things that we just mentioned. But Mark is saying like, nope, I'm going to just very quickly introduce you who Jesus is because this is all you need to know. He is God's beloved son. Let's go. And that's, and he just starts going with the gospel after that. And I, I love that. That's his starting block. Hmm. So I, before we go anywhere, I, verse 9, um, and it came fast in those days, Jesus came up from, from Nazareth to Gal of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And, you know, what that actually was, I'm not sure. Um, I've never been over to Jerusalem, never been to the Jordan River. I don't know how common doves are. Uh if it's an actual dove, I'm fascinated with the beginning of his ministry. The animal, it's the dove. It's this, it's this animal. It was used in sacrifices. It was, it's not a particularly impressive animal. Um, it's not like a bald eagle comes flying down. Yeah. It's not like, it, it's not like this. And fairly common. Is that eagle. kind of, I, I think it too? is. That's, I think it's, I think they're over there. I think they're pretty regular. And the reason I think that is because it was a part of their, their sacrifices. Sacrifice. And it was usually one of the sacrifices that was accepted in place of larger, more expensive. So logically speaking, it wouldn't make sense for Heavenly Father to say, hey, if you can't afford a heifer, go get a dove, which is never here. You know? So <laughs> right. travel up to England and go grab yourself a dove and come back. Swap. So it seems like it probably was pretty regular. And then you think about how Jesus enters Jerusalem at the end of his ministry. So this is kind of the beginning. And how, how does he make his entry at the end of his ministry? It's on a donkey. Yeah. It's... This is just, and, and between now and then, Jesus is going to, he's going to speak to the commoners. He's going to be with the commoners. It's not like so many of our, you know, we talk about the president of the United States. When the president of the United States travels, he, it's Air Force One. Mm -hmm. And he's got this huge military escort and there's clearances and there's all kinds of, that's not how Jesus yeah. came to the world. Jesus came to the world to be with everyone else. In fact, there's not even a special baptism held from from with him, right? You go to Luke chapter three, and you talk about the 
the baptism of Jesus. And you get and, and all it says. Um, oh, where'd it go? John says, there's one mightier than I cometh. Uh, verse 16. The latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor. So he gives this whole thing of Jesus is coming. I'm not him. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoes. And then Jesus shows up and it's verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized. Luke includes him as one of everyone else. It's very similar in 2 Nephi 31 uh, when Nephi is talking about it. Nephi includes and says, look, if he has to be baptized, we all have to be baptized. And this covenant, this this initial covenant that opens the path to us for the rest of the covenants that come is one that we all we all join with Christ in that. And Jesus didn't exempt himself from that. Just like in Alma 7, he's not going to exempt himself from the pains and the sicknesses and the infirmities. This mortal experience for Jesus, and it, it's typified in the baptism, he's in this with us. He's in the thick of it. He doesn't get, uh, I think about uh, Elder Rupdorf's story about the Potemkin villages, and I can't remember what the emperor's, the empress's name was, uh, the czar, whoever in Russia, but, but she, to, to see her people, she floats down the river. And the people are able to fool her because they put up these fronts and they and they hire the unemployed to go look busy so that as she floats down the river she's fooled by the front but but again that's not how Jesus did mortal his mortal life we can't trick Jesus we can't fool him we can't we can't put up some fake front and say I'm good I got this because he's in the thick of it with us yeah and I love that. I love the fact that he he does mortality like a mortal. Yeah. And and that's what makes that invitation to follow me. When he says, all right, come follow me. And we talked about that last week in John 1, that when the Savior's giving that invitation to those disciples, it really means something because he says, I'm going to show you the one way back to God. It's only through Jesus Christ that you can be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ that you can repent. It's only, and so when we're examining our lives, that's what we should be doing about, uh, or doing. You you mentioned the, you know, the baptism of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think in Come Follow Me this week, there's a, there's a chart in there and it, it's going to mention that. It's going to say, okay, who baptized Jesus? Who baptized you? Mm-hmm. And then it, it just has a bunch of questions like that. That, well, if John is a priest's son, John has the priesthood. Mm-hmm. So somebody who holds the priesthood of God needs to baptize you. He was baptized by immersion. Were you baptized by immersion? And I, I love that outline of if Jesus is saying, follow me, then follow him. And and do the things that, that Jesus is inviting, inviting you to do. Um, over in Matthew 3... Um, it, we, I know we talked about this a little bit with John, that John is, John is so great at, at uh, preparing people for the Savior. And, and over in Luke, it talks about if there's a mountain in the way, John get, helps get it out of the way. If there's a valley, he fills it up and straightens out paths and removes out rocks. And his job is repentance, which means repentance is anything or repentance is required for anything that gets in the way of me seeing the Savior or me progressing to become like him or to follow him better. And so in, in John's message here, um, in, in verse 4 of Matthew uh, chapter 3, 
says this same that same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Again, the writers are trying to point out that John is very much like an Old Testament prophet. This sounds just like Elijah. Leather girdle, living out in the wilderness, Jordan River, that's where John's baptizing, that's where uh, Elijah is from. And so uh, and so when they're when him and Elisha are passing over it, he smites the mantle and it passes. And I love this idea that it's through God's power and how is the water being parted? Well, it's Jesus at his baptism. And you can draw all sorts of cool parallels with, with that here. But uh, I, when John is, is baptizing, his, his message is of repentance. And I, I just want to point this out that uh, sometimes people get a little uncomfortable because they, they mention that, well, the Old Testament doesn't mention baptism very much or really at all. They're like, you have symbols that it's alluded to and stuff. They're like, well, this is kind of new. I would just point out that Pharisees and Sadducees were so quick to pounce on anything different that Jesus did that wasn't Old Testament. Yeah. And they don't say anything about baptism, which means they were being baptized. It, people were being baptized. Yeah. This was a fairly common thing. Otherwise, people would have been so quick to pounce on this, be like, no, 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 we don't do this. This is not new. But these people, Pharisees and Sadducees, are showing up to be baptized and to observe the baptizing of, of John. And so I love this idea then that as uh, John is teaching about repentance, he, he mentions some of these things to them and he, he calls them out, calls them a generation of vipers. And he says, you know, you're getting in the way. You are trying to, to hide and snipe and bite people in, in these wicked ways. Uh, he says, uh, look at these stones. He says that you think that you're great because you're the children of Abraham. God can take these rocks at the bottom of this river and make them Abraham's kids. That's not what matters. What matters is, who are you becoming? And, and I love a, a couple of these different analogies he gives about repentance here. So I I'm, have spent a little, I, little bit of time, not, not got anything super in-depth, but there's a phrase in the scriptures that I'm fascinated with, and it's this idea of fruits unto repentance. Mm -hmm. and, and John draws on that, verse 10, Now also the axe is laid into the tree, under the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And then the very next verse, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. And he, and he mentions the Holy Ghost. And so John being a, a son of the Levitical, of a, of a Levite priest, holds the Aaronic priesthood. And so I can baptize you. But the Melchizedek priesthood is coming. And it's going to baptize you with water or with fire. And But this idea that that repentance is the fruit that God's looking for. He, he mentions, here, Jesus has got the axe, and he's ready to start cutting down trees. And what's going to be the, what's going to be that, 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 that measurement or, you know, the, the, the factor, the indicator, the, the, the trigger? It's those that don't repent. And of all the things that the Pharisees are doing, it's fascinating. It, it seems to be that it's their unwillingness to change and, and improve, like, their... Their construct of religion was essentially to show how good they are. You know, later on, it, he's going to say to Peter, James, and John, right, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you something. And the Pharisees aren't interested in being made into anything. They're like, I'm good how I am. Yeah. And you've got the great comments in general conference over the last, there's been a few, a few of the apostles that have, that have touched on this idea, but the fact that God loves you how you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Yeah. And so 
as as John is John is going to be pe- preaching repentance, it is interesting that they don't criticize him for repent for for baptizing. Uh, they're they're curious as to you know why are you baptizing? Are you baptizing because you're this guy or that guy or mm-hmm. so baptism is clearly not something that they're concerned with. Right. Yeah, it's something that they're in fact someone who is baptizing. They're looking for it. Mm-hmm. They're looking for someone to to start baptizing in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, it's something they're very comfortable with. Uh, and and you mentioned the the trees and the fruit. Um, I, I think this would be just a, a teaching idea, and, and we asked a few students uh, a similar question. What would be a, an object lesson or simile that you would give about repentance? John does this one with fruit and trees. Mm-hmm. He says, if you're not bringing forth good fruit, then you're worthless as a tree. And you're like, well, that's harsh. Well, John is helping prepare for the final part of Jesus and helping people see them. He gives another one with, uh, with wheat in verse 12. He says, whose fan or, or shovel or kind of pitchfork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor for his wheat and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, if I understand this correctly, uh, they would get this big flat shovel or a a pitching fork or something like that. They could lift it up and toss it. The chaff would blow out Mm -hmm. and the wheat is heavier and it would fall to the ground. So they would just, it's a separation. And, And really, a lot of repentance is like that. As we, in our own lives, we consider, what do I need to separate out of my life? What is the part that I I need to turn to the Savior and say, listen, I need to remove bad things out of my life. I need to get the chaff out, and, and I need to put in the good stuff. And and I love this idea that it's a it's kind of an assessment of how you're doing and where you're at. And the true idea behind repentance is change. It's it's. Uh, metamorphosis and it's it's becoming a new creature because of Jesus Christ and it's not that saying I'm sorry that's not repentance that doesn't even come close to it it's becoming a new a new person uh, and cha- and changing your fresh view about God and beliefs and the world I think is uh, yeah. something that the Bible dictionary mentions about repentance and I think we you know as you t- as, as we take into contact or take into consideration elder Anderson's new book on the, the divine gift of forgiveness and what that is it's this it's, I, it's not a new approach to, to repentance and forgiveness. In fact, in, in a couple of different settings, he's made it clear. I don't want the divine gift of forgiveness to, to be considered a replacement for President Kimball's miracle of forgiveness. It's, it, to me, it's like the next view. It's, 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 the, it's adding on to now. We, we understand what President Kimball was saying, and now Elder Anderson wants us to see another perspective or another side of that. Uh, and he brings out really this idea of a the re- repentance is a relationship with Christ, and and it's it's as we kind of wrestle with how do we repent, the change that takes place isn't so much repentance has to be more than change because we have all kinds of self help books right we have all kinds of um, dieting books if you want to become trimmer or slimmer you know this time of year everybody's making these new goals goals yeah. uh, my son just texted me and was so excited because he used uh, chat GPT yeah. to write himself a meal plan <laughs> he described himself his age his metabolism to chat GPT and then said create me a meal make plan. me something <laughs> and it's the OMY the idea is I want to he for him he wants to bulk up he wants to get a little stronger he wants to add some muscle there's all kinds of things from now we've got AI to experts and everything else. There's all kinds of people who will help me change and and become something. 
but the way we become matters. You know, Jesus saying, I, I am the way. And so when you take the look at repentance as a relationship with Christ and his invitation, hey, come follow me. When he gets in back in Mark 1, uh, Jesus comes to Simon, verse 16. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And it's it's not just change. It's the change that happens when we spend time with Christ. As we spend more and more time with him, some of that chaff, I, I love it. It seems like it's Elder Maxwell that, that uses the phrase weightier matters. You know, in this, as we spend time with Christ, there are things that become more important. Not all truths are of equal importance, right? And so as we come to understand Jesus and his mission and the plan of salvation, there are things in our lives like scripture study and temple and prayer that become heavier. And so those things settle back down to the floor where we can take advantage of them. And there are other things that become lighter and they kind of fizzle away. Yeah. So I, when I was um, in high school, golf was everything to me. I, um, I, I rode the bench in junior high basketball and uh, didn't play in high school and didn't really play much in football and loved baseball and had a little altercation and Coach said, you know, we're going to have you do this. And I, and so I went and pl started playing golf when I was in like seventh or eighth grade and loved it. Fell in love with the sport. It was, it was great. Um, got to my senior year, won regions, did well in state. And it looked like there was going to be an opportunity for me at a brand new golf, on a, on a brand new golf team at Idaho State University in Pocatello, right here, actually. And I was, and I was excited. I was going to get to stay close to home and, um, I worked with the coach and talked about it, and, and there wasn't going to be a scholarship for me, but I, there was going to be room for me to probably walk on. So I came here. Things happened. I ended up in a mission field first uh, with a commitment from the coach that when I came back, the walk-on possibility potential would still be there. And it was so interesting that after two years in the mission field, I came home in April of 90, what, April of 97, and, and had that whole summer to try and start getting ready. And after about two weeks of, of doing exactly what I was doing before my mission, going to the golf course early in the morning, hitting a ton of balls, videoing myself, watching for, you know, um, playing a ton of golf, I just realized, man, this just isn't, this just isn't what I want. Um, and it's not that golf itself had changed, but the two years in the mission field changed me. And that's not saying that that needs to happen to everyone. I've, I've had students and, and family that have gone on missions that come back and they've picked up hobbies and interests that they had held before and, and took them into careers and, and moved forward with them. But for me, my experience in the mission field changed me enough that when I came back, I valued golf differently. And, and it wasn't that golf had changed. It wasn't that it just, my priorities had. I, I think that part of, part of this idea that what we're talking about is this, that that when you repent and when you truly change, 
it's leading you to do something different and and to true discipleship Mm -hmm. and and for you you realize that all right maybe that's something that it's it's not important to me anymore because something else is and in terms of jesus's uh baptism um i I love that this the verses of jesus's baptism are only 13 to 17 in matthew Mm -hmm. 3 most of the chapter verses 1 through 12 is about repenting but i love that matthew is seeing that these two things go together yeah that repentance and baptism definitely go together and um the fact that jesus was even baptized it's not just for remission of sins it's it's for way more than that his phrase in there is in verse 15 it says suffer it to be so now for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness to fulfill the law to say like okay this is part of the path this is what's going to open up the gate for the rest of everything repentance is never the end thing it, it's what else is going to happen now? How am I a different person, a different disciple? Maybe some of the things that I'm, I'm thinking, okay, golf is so important. So it's not as important to me anymore. And, and I love that idea that our covenants change us and they make us different uh, people for the rest of our lives. It's not the end thing. Baptism's not the last thing you do. It, I used to think when I was younger, I'm like, if I could have saved my baptism until I was like 88, I used baptism, to think that same I, thing. I, I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. Right? And there's at least two of us. There's two. There's two of us. <laughs> and we're on YouTube. <laughs> that this idea that we think that, oh, that's my last thing. I totally had a misunderstanding about what is repentance and what is baptism and what does the sacrament do and what do my temple covenants do. I, I think I, I want to share something along with that, but I just want to point out at, at Jesus's baptism here. Um, you mentioned it earlier. Jesus is in the water. He's, uh, he is immersed in the water. Uh, the Holy Ghost descends like a dove. So then you have the Son, you have the Spirit, and then the Father speaks. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, from heaven. So you have the Godhead here, the Father in heaven, the Son in the water, and the Spirit descending like a dove. And this is just one of a bunch of places where you know, the Godhead is outlined a little bit. But um, re- regarding the, the covenant... Um, when John Luke Luke expounds this just a little bit uh, in Luke three, um, he gives the analogy about uh, John. He's speaking of John, and he says the axe is laid at the root of every tree. And in verse ten, it says the people asked him, saying, "What shall we do then?" He's just taught about repentance. He's baptizing them, and the people say, "What should we do?" And John says, "If you have two coats, give to somebody who doesn't have any. If you have food, extra food, give it to people who don't have any." Then publicans come in verse 12 and say, what should we do? And he says, well, be a good tax collector. Don't, don't be uh, bad in your, in, when you're exacting taxes of people. Don't get any excess because a lot of these publicans would skim off the top. So whatever excess, they'd say, well, that's all mine. That's all my income. And they would take them. He said, don't do anything except for what the law has said you get as a wage. In verse 14, the soldiers said, what shall we do? He says, don't be mean. Don't do violence. Don't accuse falsely. Be content with your wages. And and I love that um, John is helping explain that your baptismal covenant is not just between you and God. It actually involves other people here. And and that's definitely something that Alma teaches in Mosiah 18. He says, okay, bear one another's burdens. Mourn with those who mourn. This idea that, yes, that covenant is between you and God, but it involves and then expands the rest of everybody else because following the Savior go so much deeper than just into the water or than just repenting. It, it has to go and affect the rest of your life. That's why it's just a gate because now the rest of your life, you are saying, I'm a disciple and I'm going to show that by the way I choose to live. Yeah. Well, and, and 
symbolically this idea that what is the gate opening to the gate opens to the kingdom of god you're now a you're now a you're now a citizen you know paul says we're no more foreigners now we're fellow Fellows, citizens yeah, yeah. we are we are all a part of the same kingdom and so it it our discipleship is is like our citizenship in the kingdom of god and so and and as you think about this idea of i should have waited for to enter the baptism well baptism is the gate that starts the journey mm-hmm. not that not that it's ends not it final. yeah, yeah it, it and and putting off baptism is putting off the beginning and so the sooner you get that the the more you can move through and uh this idea that my covenant is with god but the metric for how i keep my covenants is it's very similar to the first and, and the the first two great commandments, right? Mm-hmm. The first commandment is to love God. How do I show God that I love Him by loving others? Yeah, I've made this covenant with God at baptism. Now, how do I show God that I'm serious about my baptismal covenant? I take care of others, and whether it's Alma saying mourn with those that mourn, or it's or it's you know John the Baptist saying don't take advantage of of your position, because that the one thing that each of these have in common, you know, the publicans and the soldiers at least. You're in a position where you could, and some were, most were probably, yeah. taking advantage of positions of authority. And and John's saying, stop. Don't do that. Because from this point forward, it's no longer you're a soldier and they're a Jew. Or you're a publican and they're a common, you know, they're... A sinner. A sinner, <laughs> yeah. Or you're a publican and they're... A, a, and, they're they, and they owe taxes. Yeah. You're all brothers and sisters. Yeah, love that. Well, any final thoughts for you from these um, chapters? Anything else that you'd cover? And I, I guess while you're thinking, I'll, I'll just my final thought is maybe kind of a more of the summary thought of um, I, when John is saying, "Bring forth, therefore, the fruits worthy of repentance." That be proactive. That uh, as you're teaching, as you're thinking, as you're studying by yourself this week. Just, just do some assessing. I think that's really a big part of repentance is take some time with Heavenly Father and, and uh, with His Son and figure out what are the ways I can smooth out my life. Um, what are the things I might need to remove or to, uh, to fix to, so I can see the Savior uh, clearer so that I can make sure that I'm on that path back to Him. I like that. Uh, I guess for my closing, my last point, it comes from... Following the, the calling of the disciples, Mark includes this account of Simon's uh, mother-in-law being healed. And as soon as it happens, you can imagine the small town, mother-in-law's been sick for a while, we assume, and she's healed, and then everybody comes. I want to see what's going on. How did this happen? Uh, it's, it's not uncommon to, to any time miraculous things happen. Crowds gather, right? Yeah. And then it says, the very next day, uh, verse 35, and in the morning, rising up a great while before the day. So he gets up before anyone else. He went out and departed into a solitary place, place and there prayed. And and maybe parenthetically, we'll get into this later with some other verses, but I think it's interesting that even the Savior needed time alone. He needed some one-on-one time. Uh, and But after he's, out, he's been out there a little while, Simon and the others, they follow him. And verse 37, and when they found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. So, hey, we've, this is what you've been looking for. Yeah. You've got an audience. Let's go, and, let's go and preach. And the common sense thing here is to go back and preach where you have an audience. But the very next verse, 
verse 38, And he, Jesus, said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And I, this idea, I've, I've got a, a comedian that I really, really like, a Christian comedian from, from Texas. And he tells a story about, he uses his comedy routines to teach principles. Uh, to teach gospel, to teach the gospel, really, and one of his one of the things he teaches is, don't assume that you know what God wants you to do, and he uses this example, and I, I it's fictitious, but it, it it makes me smile, and then it but it also proves the point. Mm-hmm. He says if you're walking out and you see some homeless guy there, and you've got two bottles of water, don't assume that God wants you to give that bottle of water. Now that that's <laughs> that's like wait a minute, that's of backwards. course, <laughs> of course he wants you to give that, but. His, he then makes the point and says, but what if God is working on a stingy person that's behind you and that person has only one bottle of water, but God's going to prompt them to give that bottle of water and it's, it's, and he's working with it. Don't assume that God want that you know what God wants you to do. And, and, and his point was, before you give the bottle of water, stop and just ask, is this what you want me to do? And, and it's possible to, to, to see what Jesus is doing in verse 35. There's any number of things he'd be praying about. But I believe, I, 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 it has to be one of the things he's praying about is, what, Heavenly Father, where do you want me to go next? Yeah. And, and instead of just taking the easy route, I've, I've performed a miracle, and now I've got an audience, and it's so much easier. As a missionary, it was so much easier to go teach people that were already on your list than it was to go find new people. Finding was so hard because it involved asking members to give, you know, to give names or knocking doors or, but sometimes the, the obvious answer isn't God's answer. And so take time to find out what it is that God wants you to do and don't settle for the easy answer just because it's the first one that comes to mind. Love that effort. The Lord loves effort. Yep. He really does. He does. And sometimes it's not the, it's not where you. It's not the most obvious effort that he wants. It's the. It's the one that. It's the one that's going to catch you off guard. So, anyway. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. We will. Uh, we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me, Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and, and in our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.